Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week's The Chelsea is brought to you by the Queen Elizabeth Hostel on Bagley Lane near the bridge. Scott and the team are always open pre- and post-match for a pint of Watney's Pale Ale. Hello, good evening and welcome to The Chelsea. Well, what a seven days we've had since we last chatted to you. There's been thrills, spills, European games, goals, penalties, sending-offs, sending-offs in the same second. Uh, all sorts of stuff has been going on. And to discuss this in our usual way, it's Mr. Andy Saunders. How you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Last time I spoke to you, you had a fearful, frightful cold. Yeah, it developed into a fearful, frightful flu. It was awful. So uh, I'm coming out the other end now. I'm much perkier and happier than I was last week. Thank you very much for asking. Oh, well, that's, that's good to hear. There's nothing worse, especially at this time of year, with the nights drawing in and feeling all miserable and cold. And How about the flu jab as well? Yeah, well, the, the thing about the flu jab, it can take up to a month to take any action. So by the sounds of it... You'd only just had it a week or two before, hadn't yeah. you? So, load of old nonsense. Yeah, well, it is because there's always different strains, and you probably caught the home counties strain, which is very <laughs> difficult to get rid of. Um, <laughs> but yes, so have you been able to to watch Chelsea this week? Have you been able to rest yourself in front of the games? And cause I presume you couldn't go to the Ajax game because didn't go to the Ajax game. No, which obviously I'm gutted about because that looked an absolute. Corker, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in great depth. But I did go to Palace, obviously, and uh, and that was fun. So, one one uh, great game in person this week, and one great game on the telly. No, it's it's absolutely true. Um, and the thing is about watching these games at the moment, you you get a real feel, and we'll go into it in detail in a minute. Um, uh, but there's a real feel of togetherness still. Here we are. I, I always think that this is the week when suddenly the football season starts properly, because this is the last of the international games for a while. And then it's just premiership game after premiership game mixed in with cup games. I don't mm. know how you feel, but I love to get this, this week out of the way. 
Well, you know my view on international breaks. I can't stand them. I think they're, you know, the, the Premier League at the moment is absolutely buzzing. You know, it's not not just Chelsea, but across the Premier League, there's some fantastic games going on, some great battles, some really interesting stories, and we all have to suddenly stop dead for a game that at the very, you know, very most is going to give us some diversionary pleasure. You know, there's nothing, and that's not really even a criticism of England. I mean, everybody enjoys watching England at the moment because of the young Chelsea players in there and the young players generally and what Gareth Southgate's doing. There's, there's, there's lots to like about it, but it's not Chelsea. And I just think we've got a little bit of a momentum at the moment with six wins in a row, and I'm slightly irritated that we've got to stop and take a step back and wait two weeks before we can get back into the flow of things again. Yeah, but I mean, there is also something to be said for if you're going to stop for nearly two weeks, you might as well do it on the back of a victory. Uh, You wouldn't want to be Tottenham fans or Arsenal fans at the moment now, would you? Well, I suppose the argument for them is that they they get a chance to regroup. But no, I'm I'm with you. I think if you've got momentum, you want to keep it going. Um, And uh, yeah, both those teams are struggling at the moment, big time. Yeah, it, it, it is an extraordinary time, you know, when you think about where we are in the league, how things are going, you know, how small our ambitions were at the beginning of the season going, hey, look, you know what, it's whatever is, is whatever is, it will take, as long as, I, as we don't get relegated, as I said, I'd be happy. Well, here we are, you know, through, a third of the way through the season, just about, and we're in the top four and there's distance between us. And never mind Tottenham and Man U and Arsenal. You know, our closest rival is Sheffield United. We're not in the top four, mate. We're in the top three. Okay. And in fact, we're joint second on points. We're only not second on goal difference. And and mainly because Leicester smashed nine goals past, uh, past Southampton. Southampton. Yeah, no, um, you know, so so it's uh, you know it's remarkable where we're at, at the moment. And, and and if anybody had said to me after twelve games you'd be essentially second, uh, I would laugh them out of town. It's it's amazing what's happening. It's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant and exciting time. And I think that's even more why I'm irritated by the international break. <laughs> well, do you, do you think though that by being in the top four, sorry, third, kind of really second, um, do you think though that adds some pressure back onto Chelsea that actually wasn't there when we were all going? Hey, look, if, if we finish top six, that's pretty good. You know, we can't aim too high. And here we are aiming very high suddenly. Do, do you think that will add a pressure on to the team, the squad, the fans even? I don't think it'll add pressure on the team and the squad. I think anybody that hasn't managed their expectations and doesn't continue to manage their expectations with this team is deluded because there will be bumps in the road. There will be injury problems. There will be... Uh, you know, the situations where our defence will get found out, there will be losses and we have to manage our expectations. This season is a transitional season to bed in a team of very young players and get them premiership battle hardened. Uh, next season is the season where we need to be putting a little bit of expectation on them. If you start to get ahead of yourself and you start to think that just after, because after 12 games we're essentially second um then that's a mistake you have to i think manage your expectations all the way through to the end of the 38 games this season and if you don't you you know you're you're only being a fool to yourself no i I think that's true and history will always tell you you just got to wait for the next game concentrate on that and move on and and talking of history i thought now is a very good time to introduce a little chat that i had with rick uh, about historical 
four four draws with Chelsea over the years. So Rick, uh, Rick who? Rick, Rick. Sorry, I, it's like you know Drake. It, it's like all these people. You, Rick you Mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not even I could manage to dig him up. Um, but it is Mr. Rick Glanville talking to me about historical 4-4 draws for Chelsea over the years. So, Rick, Chelsea 4, mm. Ajax 4. <laughs> It, it was amazing, but I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about that. But it did make me think. It made me think back to other great four-all draws. Because it, it's actually quite a familiar scoreline for Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's not quite... You remember the old Scottish thing of, oh, when will uh, Fife 4, 4 far 5 ever be a scoreline? It's not quite as rare as that. <laughs> Certainly not. It's actually relatively common. I mean, it's... Uh, Frank Lampard's been involved in four of them with Chelsea, would you believe? Um, and going back to the first one in a competitive match was in 1932 at uh, home to Portsmouth. Um, and I think the thing about the nature of it, you're sharing eight goals. And something in, that they all have in common, obviously, uh, intrinsically, is that they are quite cut and thrust, uh, turbulent, uh, you know, your confidence and your enthusiasm ebbs and flows. You can go 1-0 up, 2-1 down, 3-1 down. Um, and if I look back, I mean, you've got, looking back, um, just to how many, I haven't actually counted how many of them. About 12 or something like that, including Ajax. And the most recent one uh, before that was another Frank Lampard one, which was the Champions League quarterfinal in April 2009 against Liverpool. Um, if you remember that one, that's oh, largely that. recalled because of the how emotionally charged it was because of Frank having lost his mother and having to take the penalty or electing to take the penalty. And I've never quite felt such um, a connection between a player, a moment, and a crowd as that penalty. Oh, I'd agree with you, because there was something so unbelievably electric about the whole place. Yeah. I, I would say that that is just about one of the finest nights ever. I mean, mm. okay, we can look at other things, but for the, for the drama of it and how we ended up you know, getting through that tie w yeah. was quite something else. It, it was just an extraordinary evening, wasn't it? I, would you say it was more extraordinary than the, the Ajax game? I think because of there was the added frisson of how important it was uh, you know getting through to the Champions League uh, semi-final and because of that I mean I don't think I'll ever forget the, the immediate aftermath of Frank's kind of falling to his knees with his arms reaching up skywards and all his teammates knowing exactly what it meant to him and the turmoil that, uh, that he was experiencing and mobbing around him and he thought god that doesn't that sum up uh something about that squad that had been through so much together so it was quite a remarkable uh evening and then of course the other one well two others that frank was involved in uh in the league in 2008 at tottenham do you remember that one oh, oh my god that was a real ding dong a classic ding dong that was <laughs> you know that really was lead changing hands time and time again and um uh one of those where you're thinking 
uh, because we had such a fantastic record at uh, at Tottenham that um, we always thought that maybe we would come out on top as we always had, but not on that day. Um, and then he was involved in the four four. Aston Villa um, on that Boxing Day one. Do you remember that one? Uh, yeah, uh, I do because what, I'm trying to remember what the score was at half time because I, I remember I was travelling up from the south coast and only mm. just got there in well, I think missed about two or three goals or something because the traffic <laughs> yeah. on the south coast because you know what people don't realise on Boxing Day there is no public transport. It's unbelievable. No. You have to drive everywhere, so it means the world is escaping from their mother-in-laws and uh, <laughs> trying to get the football. And and we got there, and it was like two-one already or something. And uh, yeah, it, it, th- that was nuts, wasn't it? That game. That was uh, uh, Abra Grant, wasn't it? I think we were losing 2-1 at half-time. It was, well, both of the Tottenham and, it was the same season, Tottenham and Aston Villa. Yeah. That was an Abraham Grant speciality was the full, full draw, I think. And, um, do you reckon he had money on that kind of score? Do, do you remember they also had, uh, what's he saying, Zach Knight was sent off as well. That's right. Uh, and so, you know, although we were down, you know, you thought, oh, come on now, now let's do it, uh, let's do it properly. But that, um, that, that oh, was extraordinary. God. Barry got the penalty. Do you remember the Gareth Barry? Yes. That was the that was the equaliser. Oh, we just yeah. couldn't believe. As if there's something <laughs> something about I suppose because there are so many goals uh, in these eight goal thrillers that naturally one of them you know it, it's quite likely they're going to be late ones just because of the spread of goals. But we had two. We um, uh, Michael Ballack put us up four three in that game, and then. Bloody Gareth Barry got a penalty in the last minute, and um, you know it was just one of those setbacks that, uh, that made us realise that things weren't going to go our way that season. I think. No, it's true. And actually, I remember after the game, we decided to have Boxing Day lunch at uh, Marco's. Um, oh yeah. And we went in there, and Martin O'Neill, who was then the Villa manager, he, he was. Yeah. He was in there with three very glamorous women i i guess maybe they were his daughters i don't know but he was with three glamorous women and then was joined uh, by avram grant it was <laughs> absolutely bizarre completely forgotten about that until he mentioned it so was martin o'neill still complaining about the fa cup penalty in 1997 when he was with leicester i bet any, he was to anyone who would listen let me tell you rick <laughs> <laughs> so, so really, I mean, four all is not such an unusual scoreline. I mean, we uh, there's no point going back in history. Uh, whenever we have Trevor Laird on, he always talks about the Sheffield United Sheffield Wednesday away. Oh my God! Well, this is one that obviously, you know, this is one of the ones that really sticks in people's minds. And obviously, I wrote Paul Canneville's uh, autobiography. And um, hold on, that hold was... on. Yeah, can I just? Grammatically, Sorry, that's incorrect. Co-write. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote his autobiography. <laughs> Sorry, just, just a case of semantics. I, help, help, I helped him out. Yeah, uh, no, I just, know just checked his spelling. <laughs> so yeah, but that that Sheffield Wednesday game that was remarkable, and um, and he tells a great story about that. That obviously, for people that don't know the story, it was a, a League Cup quarter final match at Hillsborough against Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday back then. Uh, one for the teenagers. They were actually quite a strong team in those days. They were one of the big six, if you recall, um, that were dominating the TV negotiations. Um, but and they had to, they had a pretty strong side. It was a 
uh, a difficult night. Canners was on the bench. He was introduced at half-time. Now, it was 3-0 by then, and there was a woman behind him and Keith Jones that were sitting on the bench. There was a woman behind who had some sweets, and she kept teasing them, saying, oh, look, when you get a goal, then you can have one of these sweets. And, uh, of course, she was laughing each time Sheffield Wednesday scored a goal. Uh, Canners went on, instantly scored, uh, I mean, an incredible night. Apart from every, every, anything else, um, Mickey Thomas lamped one of their players <laughs> and <laughs> just punched him in the box. Uh, the referee didn't see it, neither did the it, it did his assistant. And he, there was clearly something had gone on, so he was kind of looking around. And the Chelsea fans basically ratted out uh, Mickey Thomas by singing one Mickey Thomas. So it's quite clear who was the perpetrator. Anyway, so we come back to thrill, then. Of all things, Paul Cannaville gets the what we hoped would be the winner, 4-3, uh, and have, runs over to the bench um, and asks Keith Jones, where's that woman with the sweets? <laughs> um, she wasn't there. She Apparently, she'd already left. Um, so he, he didn't get... He got some reward from that in that the Chelsea fans absolutely adored him after that, but he didn't get the bonbons that uh, perhaps he was looking forward to. Doug Rugby... As is the way of these four fours, um, Doug Rugby gave away a last-minute penalty that everyone was telling him, don't make the challenge. And um, so it ended up 4-4, and then we won the, the uh, replay at the bridge. Yeah. So that was a sensational night. Uh, I tell you. Well, you, may there be many more to come, but <laughs> I, I quite like them to be 4-3 four, four or 5-4. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'd still... We won't go into that about VAR, but... Well, Rick, thank you for taking us through some memorable moments of Chelsea 4-4s. And uh, I'll catch up with you soon. So there we go. That was Rick chatting to me. He, of course, as everyone knows, is the official Chelsea historian. So what he says goes. And and Andy, I mean, there's so much we could analyse about just what what Rick was saying, including things like Cannaville and and the bonbons. And we need to find those bonbons. Maybe we'll send him a packet. Um, But for you, what was your favourite for all? Well, obviously the Liverpool game, obviously. You know, I just think it was an iconic game at the bridge um, for all the reasons that Rick said. You know, he, he made that point about that, that connection with Frank Lampard during that game because obviously his mother, Pat, had died earlier in the week. It was very emotional. He took that penalty. He was clearly very emotional. That game ebbed and flowed like nobody's business. It was magnificent to beat Liverpool in those circumstances, a strong Liverpool team. And I just think right till the very end, you didn't know which way that game was going to go. It was an epic game. Um, And for me, I think possibly one of the, well, certainly in the top five games I've ever seen. Yeah, it it was. It was an incredible night. I will never, ever forget that night because it, it, it had everything, didn't it? And, Especially, it had a victory for us at the end of it by drawing. It, it was it it was spectacular. So, I, I guess we should move on to this recent for all with with Ajax. Uh, it was it was a funny old game, wasn't it? Um, you know, Alonso at left back. Um, they they seem to be a much better side than us, especially in the first half. And as we know, the classic quote everyone's saying is they had what was it one shot on target and three goals and, and and what have you so it was it was an odd game to get a handle on wasn't it especially when we looked 
out of it dead and buried. Yeah, I mean, eight goals, two red cards, two penalties, two own goals. You know, VAR, you know, a, a nine-man team still attacking at the end. It was crazy. I think we've got to take a step back from that game and say, look, it was an iconic game and it will be long remembered as a you know thrilling spectacle. Uh, and for any team to come back from 4-1 down is, is obviously laudable. But, but you have to look back and go, how did we concede four goals for a start? Defensively, it was a, it was a bit of a mess. And there were times in that game where Chelsea's frailties were hugely exposed. Whilst at the same time, our strengths were hugely amplified. Um, but, you know, on a, on a slightly negative side, I think that any game that finishes 4-4 is not a particularly impressive performance by either side. Because you have to question why we've conceded four goals. And certainly two, if not three of those goals were, were down to pretty dreadful defending, I think. And, and this is a real shame, isn't it? Because over the last few weeks, we've sort of, OK, we've ridden our luck a bit, but... We've looked more cohesive, especially in the centre. Um, I think what's interesting is we saw the ruthlessness of Frank as a manager in the fact that he hoiked Alonso off at half-time, obviously identifying this as a real problem area, switches Dave over to that side, which I think we had talked about last week anyway as maybe something that would happen, and brought on Rhys James. Um, and I guess there is going to be a lot of talk throughout this episode about just how good Rhys James is. And he made a real difference to us, didn't he? And Dave moving over to the far side. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, credit to you for, for, for calling the, the, you know, Dave switching to the left thing. That was very much something that you said. And, uh, and you were right. And uh, Alonso was dreadful. There's no other word for it. He was dreadful. And, you know, and as you say, Frank, Frank made a very decisive move taking him off. He's a senior player in the side, so that, that couldn't have been an easy decision, but it was the right decision, and it allowed us to bring on Rhys James, which absolutely, 100%, I mean, forget the goal that he scored, he changed the game with his you know, uh, movement and his drive and his physicality, um, and took that into the Crystal Palace game. So, I think the the one thing that really came out of that game for me was the the sort of the the real emergence of Rhys James as a credible elite player. Yeah, I, I think I, I'd agree. Somehow, something about his performance lifted everyone else around him. Um, and you know, first off, energy will do that. People coming on the pitch with energy will do that. And and I think that there was a point. You know, when you're four one down, you're thinking, what do we do here? Do we go for it and just you know, to use a, a, a slightly cliched expression, is it just shit or bust? Do we just kind of go out there and if we get destroyed, we get destroyed, but at least we gave it a go? Or is it damage limitation? Or, or what do we do here? And sometimes it just needs someone with fearlessness and, and youth and energy to come on and grab the, the game by the scrap of the neck and say, well, let's just give it a go. Yeah, And, and, that, and that's what happened. I, I totally agree. And I think what he did was just have that exuberance of youth going, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's nil-nil since I've come on, so I'm going to yeah. go out and play my game. And he was fearless. I think fearless is is the correct word. I, I, I mean, 3-1 down at half-time, you know, another goal conceded reasonably, um, you know, shortly after that. And, and, and it, you know, and it looked like it looked like it was dead and buried. Um, and the comeback was amazing, but the comeback was made easier by the two red cars, let's not be honest. Well, yeah, I, for me, have you ever seen... 
in the same move, two players get a red card and then an extra triple whammy, the penalty is awarded as well. It, oh, it, no, no, it was it was quite something. It, it was, and uh, you could almost say as well, suddenly the gods shone on our side because it looked tough, that, that second red card for the handball. Yeah, I mean, the Daily Blind uh, foul was a red card. Yeah, I don't know if it was any, any, or second yellow anyway, so that, that was a red card. The handball, I thought, was incredibly harsh. Not as harsh as Tammy Abraham's. Uh, handball decision that was given for the fifth goal that was ruled out but harsh nonetheless and certainly not a red card but you know it will take it and and you know credit has to go to Jorginho for both his penalties amazing penalties I mean he's developed a style that seems almost unsavable at the moment well, well you know it was it, it was incredible watching that second penalty because you think oh well with with the way he does it maybe the keepers learned something about the first penalty but there's something about that little hop that he does that seems to bemuse every keeper so far, and they go, yeah. I have no idea where you're going. And it all seems, it's a bit like, you know, find the lady, really. It's like, whatever yeah. happens, you're going to be looking under the wrong cup for goalkeepers are going to go the wrong side. And he waits until their movement, and then he goes the opposite side. And he seems to have this ability to not worry if it's going left or right. If the goalkeeper goes that way, this ball's going the other. I don't think... Have we seen a penalty of his which has gone the same side as the keeper? I'm not, not sure well, we have. Well, we had the penalty saved from him by Edison in the, uh, in the Carlin Cup yes. final. Uh, sorry, the Carabao Cup final. But that's the only one. Yeah, that's, that, that was slightly different. It was, uh, but he seems to have honed it and perfected it now. And, and it is quite incredible. And yet again... He shows something that is so wonderful to see. He seems energised. He energises everyone about him. And also that partnership with Kovacic. I know we, we keep mentioning it, but it is developing into something so extraordinary. The way they bounce off each other and the way they get things into perpetual motion together. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's amazing, and, and again, we keep harking back to last season where they were two players that you know a big swathe of the Chelsea fan base would have not bad an eyelid if they if they'd have left the club. And I think it just goes to show that you've got to be patient with players. You've got to allow, particularly players coming from other leagues, to bed into into the Premier League and bed into the, the London lifestyle, and and give them a chance to acclimatise and and find their voice within the team. And both those players certainly have, and it's great to see. Uh, and also, I'd say, if find a manager who will allow them to be the players they can be within a system that works for them. So, mm. OK, so that for, for when it gets to four all and then that goal from Dave happens, could you understand what was going on when suddenly it's not a goal? It, well, it was a brilliant celebration, I have to say. Yeah. Both, both the Reese James celebration and the and the, the Dave celebrations were brilliant. I mean, both in in opposite corners, weren't they? So. Yes. Um, and it, what was great about you know Aspilicueta's unbridled joy at scoring. I mean, it's going to make you hate VAR to take that joy out of the game. It was never a handball. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I've watched it a dozen times, I'm sure you have. And it's like, even if the rule is it hits you, I mean, come on, seriously? If yesterday in the game between Liverpool and Man City, the Trent Alexander handball is is deemed not to be a handball, how on earth can Terry Hermie Abraham's handball in that game stand? It's ludicrous. Yeah, it is. But it, it seems the way that they're working it is, if it's a defender... They get away with it. I mean, look at Deli Ali with his hand above his head. 
basically right. flicking his whole arm and diverting the ball. And if it's an attacker and it leads to a goal, they stop it immediately. So there's Look, this I know everybody's bored I don't to like death it. it. I know everybody's bored to death of, of talking about VAR. All the pundits are talking about it, the papers, social media. We're talking about it. It's crazy. But doesn't that tell you something? Doesn't that tell you that it's not adding anything to our game at the moment? It's, it's you know, I'm not just saying it because we had a goal, you know, what I consider to be a perfectly good goal chalked off for a handball that wasn't. But I didn't think the Veltman handball was a, was a you know, was a red card either. No. And I think that, you know, I just think that if we're going to use it, go to the monitor. Just say to the referee, you might want to have another look at it. Go and have another look at it and see what you think. And if the referee goes to the monitor and goes, you know what? I'm going to stick with my original decision. Most people will go fine. What I object to is people sitting 300 miles away, re-refereeing the game and saying, oh, under the under the, uh, the UEFA rules, it's just nonsense. It's like, just let the referee ref the game. And, you know, if, if, if you want to give him another look at it, that's fine. But I don't understand why it's so hugely inconsistent in different leagues, in different competitions, at different grounds, with different referees. It's not adding to the game. And, and this idea of you celebrate a goal and then you have this three minutes while they check it just sucks the life and the joy. It's ruining the game. Yeah, I agree. For something that really, when you see it work well, it's brilliant. It does make some decisions that get missed. But with, with dubious and contentious decisions, you've got to let things be to a greater or lesser extent. And, and I do think we are finding great moments destroyed by a bad use of technology. Anyway. I mean, uh, the classic, remember the classic game, the classic Barcelona game at the bridge where John Terry scored? Yes. That goal would have been ruled out on VAR because obviously Carvalho impeded the goalkeeper. Yes. But nobody really looks back on that and says, we cheated or, you know, we gamed it or in some way didn't deserve to go through, you know, to the next round of the Champions League. Everybody shrugged their shoulders and just went, oh, that's, you know, you win some, you lose some. Referee didn't see it. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm sure the Barca fans were upset about it, but not to the extent where it ruined their lives. And I think that it's, it's, you've just, we've just got to get some perspective on this. It's nonsense. When you have an iconic game like that, like the Ajax game, and a result is denied because of some bureaucracy, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't accept it. No, I, I agree with you. And, and it could affect the outcome of the whole group. Uh, we could go out, you know. You know a it's... group where, where three teams are on the same points. You know, us, Valencia and Ajax are all on seven points. You know, only three of those teams, you know, could could not go through. And as you say, it could cost us a place in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. And it could cost Ajax that place as well. Both yeah. sides really suffered by having that draw. So, you know, we, we move on. But I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be great, but they need to sort things out and get some real rules set in stone. OK, well, look, that just about covers the Ajax game. We should go to a small commercial break. This week's The Chelsea is brought to you by the sporting page on Camera Place in Chelsea. Make sure you visit this great pub before and after matches and enjoy a pint of Watney's Pale Ale. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. 
cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. And we're back. So, Andy, um, you managed to get yourself off your your uh, flu-ridden bed and managed to get down to the bridge, didn't you, for, for the old Palace game? The, 100%, yeah. The, the, now, OK, I've got a, a question here. This was our first London derby of the season. Was it? Yes, yeah. be- because I thought Watford was a London derby, but apparently... Watford doesn't count as part of London at all. No, it's Hertfordshire. Yeah. I, it's funny because I've always thought of Watford as a, as a London club. It's further away than where I live. It's, it's incredible that you know, I, I've lived in this kind of ignorance all my life. Um, so, yes, this was our first London derby of, of the season. Right. And, uh, well, that wasn't a particularly good day for you weather-wise to go out with a, a flu, was it? That, that was a pretty miserable old uh, journey down, I would have thought. Yeah, it was all right. It was fine. It wasn't as bad as Watford, where I got absolutely soaked, and I do think contributed to my illness. I have to say, not that there's any scientific evidence for you know for getting wet, giving you cold or flu, but I'm I'm sticking to my story that it didn't help. Um, and and you know Watford was appalling. No, it was just a, gr- a bit grim, and you know it's not so far a walk from uh, Fulham Broadway to the to the bridge anyway, and we're undercover, so it wasn't, wasn't a big deal. But yeah, it was it was proper football weather. You know, yep. sitting there wrapped up with a scarf and hat on. I like it. I prefer it. I prefer. I like. I like a bit of a cold and slightly damp and threatening skies. I like that. That's for me. That's that's football weather. Well, that's because you're such a miserableist. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So so the Palace game. Interesting. Interesting team news uh, after uh, before that one. In the fact that Reese James got his first Premier League start and Dave went to the bench. Yeah, and it was interesting, wasn't it, that Frank Lampard said that, that uh, Aspilicueta took it like a model pro, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, I think there's some stat about he uh, has had a run of 73 consecutive starts in the Premier League yep. uh, before he got uh, rested for that game. You know, and, and you wouldn't blame him if he was upset about it or or, or, or wanted to, you know, to, to, to defend himself. But apparently he just shrugged his shoulders and said, no, you're the manager, it's your decision. Which, you know, which I wouldn't expect anything less of him. He's, a, he's a, you know, been a fantastic professional and, and, and leader for the club. No, absolutely. Uh, were you surprised that Dave ends up out of the side and that Emerson goes to left back? Or do you think maybe... You know, Frank is is not certain that he shouldn't be playing a left back. So consequently, Emerson gets the nod. Well, Emerson's a specialist left back, and I think that you know, if, if you've got a specialist left back, you probably should play them. Um, and whatever you think about Dave's adaptability and and um, uh, an ability to to move across the back four, and he has played right across the back four. I think Emerson is a is a, a perfectly good and uh, senior left back or left full back and uh, you know and he, he for me was the obvious choice well it was it was interesting he, he looks a little bit ring rusty but for me coming back from coming yeah, back from injury isn't it? exactly maybe a few games and we'll work out possibly we still need to get 
uh, a left back because you know there's the young kid Matson, but it's probably just a little bit too early for him to come into this side, wouldn't you? Think? I think so. I think it's a season too early for him. I, you know, I said it on the last podcast. I think it's an area that we can upgrade on. I genuinely do. I think Alonso's time at the club is 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 or oh, his days are numbered frankly i think he's been great i think he's played a part in some uh really important moments in in recent history um and he's you know a, a brilliant player on on his day but for me he's not progressing as a player and i think that when you look at the side that we've got and the energy that we've got in the side we could we could upgrade in that area i think yeah, and also the thing that annoys me about Alonso is you're seeing him have sulky reactions to things he gets wrong and he goes and chops somebody down, gives a penalty away, fouls them, doesn't look happy. He, know, he knows what's going on. He knows he's getting caught out. And it, it may be time either to take him out of the firing line for, uh, for a while and then bring him back in. But I agree. I, I think it's an area we can, we can upgrade. Um, yeah. He's 28 now. He's not old. You know, he's probably got another you know, decent move in him, I just don't think that he's suited to the harem scarum energy of the current Chelsea side, which is, you know, purpose built for Reese James. Yes. Um, uh, you know, to bomb up and down that wing and 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 maraud and destroy and you know <laughs> all the stuff that Reese James does. And Alonso is is a little bit more of a classical player and doesn't doesn't necessarily have that level of versatility. Yeah, I mean, maybe having Reese James opposite where Alonso should uh, should be on the left, it just highlights that, and maybe that's also a bit of a problem for Emerson. But I don't know, think like, I should say as well. You know, we're going to come on and talk about Reese. <laughs> I don't think Reese Reese is the uh, is the finished article by any stretch. I think he's got a way to go. I think he he looked brilliant against Crystal Palace and and had a, obviously a massive impact against Ajax. But let's not forget, he's a very young player and uh, has a way to go. Certainly, a long way to go before he reaches the. The, the level of seniority that Alonso's at. So it's it, we shouldn't really conflate the two and compare the two. Alonso's got a lot of strengths and has, has you know has 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 a lot of things that that Reece James doesn't. I just don't think it's necessarily suited to this team. No, I think you're right. And you know everyone was going on about how Reece had uh, Zaha in his pocket. It's not altogether true because he got done a few times by Zaha. But it was a it was good a, battle. It was, it was a, a great good, battle. It was a really good battle. And somebody said uh, quite quite presciently, I thought that uh, was funny watching Zaha, who seemed to be concentrating more on beating Reece James than playing for his team. He's like almost like he was had tunnel vision about the battle that he was in with Rhys James, rather than the wider, you know, context of the game. No, it's true, and he obviously reacted quite badly to somebody. Did you see that bit of footage? Yeah, Some, somebody put a bit of footage up of, of, of you know accusing him of being in Rhys James's pocket when he was driving away, and he reacted quite badly to it, which was quite funny. Well, you heard what he said, didn't you? I did. That's why I'm not saying it because it was rude, but it was yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was petty. Blimey, you're not saying the rude thing. Good Lord, how strange. Um, anyway, we move on. But, um, but yeah, the, the other thing that was interesting as well was that Jorginho was sitting the game out because he'd got his quota of yellow cards for, the, for this part he bought, of the season. He bought a yellow card in the Watford game so he could sit this game out and be ready for the Man City game, you mean? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and we got Kante coming in. Now, here's an interesting scenario. Kante been in and out injuries all through the season hasn't been quite right he comes in and through the first half you were almost 
nearly saying, we really miss Jorginho here, don't we? Oh, I mean, not nearly saying it. I was saying it. It's it's crazy to think that your best player in Kante, and he is our best player, there's no two ways about it, um, when he comes back into the side, that, that actually in this particular game you needed some forward momentum, you needed some passing momentum that, that Jorginho provides. And in a, in a game where a team like Crystal Palace are going to set up such a low block and such a compact system, actually what you needed was somebody who could unpick it and unlock it. And that probably was Jorginho, not Kante. Um, so, yeah, he was a big miss in that game. Yeah, he was. And uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting conundrum, isn't it, for Frank? You've got Zuma, uh, sorry, you've got uh, Jorginho, Kovacic, and you've got Kante. And I think the way the team is, with Mason Mountain there, if he's fit, only two out of that three can play, can't they? They can't. You can't get all three of them in at the moment, can you? Not unless he changes the system and goes with four in midfield, which I don't think he'll do. So it's um, yeah, and, that, and that's without even thinking about Ruben Loftus Cheek coming back. So it's it's a uh, yeah, you know. Again, we've said it every podcast. I think you know Ross Barkley's going to be the victim in this. He's he's like he's getting nowhere near it. Billy Gilmore, I think this is a again a, a bit of a introductory season for him. He's probably not going to get anywhere near it, you know, given given the strength of that midfield. I mean, it's a great problem to have. No, ab- absolutely. So, I mean, the, the first half against Palace, it, it was hard work. They stuck diligently to their job, occasionally look as though they might try and do something up the field, but didn't really bother. And it was, it was very much a, a, a battle of attrition. Um, but the second half, Frank managed to seem to G them all up, the boys, and we went out there, we played quicker. And it, this seems to be a, a, an ongoing thing, isn't it? First half, we're, we're struggling against sides that set themselves out to defend. But the second half, we seem to come out and we seem to always start a little bit quicker. And that usually takes them by surprise, which is what happened here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and, and I've lost count of the amount of times this season. I've, I've sort of said, what a frustrating first half. Because it was Watford was a very frustrating first half. Um, and... You're right. And I think one of the things that you can add to that is that what we're making opposition teams do is is work a lot in the first half by moving the ball quickly. So we may not be getting the breakthrough. Uh, We are creating chances. I mean, there were chances certainly created throughout that, you know, throughout that period. We ended up having, you know, 23 shots overall. So, you know, we weren't not getting in and around the box. It was the case that we just weren't creating the clear-cut chances or we weren't taking the chances. Um, but what we are doing is making teams work. So by the second half, they're starting to get a little bit gassed, a little bit out of breath. Um, and if we can up the tempo in the second half, it often works to our favour that we can overwhelm them. Yeah, it's true. They've done so much work already. And, yeah. and that, that goal, that Tammy's goal was just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? Well, the William touch is, yeah. is, is the thing of beauty. I mean, Tammy's first touch is great to, to set it up for himself. I thought it was offside the way. It seemed to take ages. You know, he sort of took a touch and then he waited and then he slotted it home and he seems to have all the time in the world on it. And maybe that's just a, 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 an indication of his class. Uh, but what was lovely about it was, was William's overall con- contribution in the game was brilliant, but his touch... He's, you know, killing the ball and just laying it. It was just fantastic. And, you know, he's he's been a really brilliant uh, player in the team this year, William. And, and, you know, he got an awful lot of hate last season, unjustifiably so. And I hope a lot of those people that were giving him hell are looking at the performances he's putting in and, and revisiting their thoughts on that. Yeah, well, you know, you know my thoughts on this. I, I, I think Eden Hazard going has allowed William 
to be the player we know he is. Gone mm. is the, oh, it'd be Pedro or William today. We all know it's William. William, William. Mm. Every time. If he's fit. Do you want to say plays. William again? William. William, 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 William. It's a bit funny when you say it quite a lot of times. But I do think this has been the making of him uh, for, for this season. And I, I honestly, I think in a way, Eden Hazard going has allowed this team to become a team. There's, there's loads of things, loads of coincidental things that have made this happen. But I actually think him not being there has allowed other people to step up to the plate. What's interesting about Eden Hazard was we loved watching Eden Hazard play. He was a magician and a ballet dancer all, all sort of wrapped into one. It was, it was fantastic. Um, and, but too often he would either be the focal point for all the magic or he wouldn't turn up. You know, there would be games where he'd be invisible. He would single-handedly win us a string of games, and then he would single-handedly, you know, sort of you know, dull the mood and, and not turn up. What, what's so interesting this season is the magic is coming from all over the pitch. The magic's coming from Rhys James. It's coming from Jorginho, Kovacic, Pulisic. It's coming from William, Tammy scoring goals. It, you know, uh, Tamore and, and Zuma doing heroics at the back. The magic is all over the pitch. It's not just focused on one player. And for me, that's a brilliant thing. Oh, I think that's absolutely spot on. We are playing as a team and there are many components in this. And on the whole, people come in for someone else. They do their job to make it very hard for people to immediately walk into the side again. Frank you don't get the sense that there's any any kind of prima donnas in the team or, or anybody that it just feels like they're celebrating together. They're, they're, you know, commiserating together. You know, I've not seen goal celebrations like that for, for a long, long time at Chelsea where, you know, where there's such joy, uh, you know, Tammy Abraham celebrating other people's goals. It's brilliant. You know, it's like somebody said to me yesterday, you know, imagine Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, if Tammy Abraham was scoring goals, he, you know, he would always be really grumpy if some, if, if either scored and he didn't, you know, but Tammy's thrilled if somebody else scores. It just feels like a, like a team effort. And I go back to what I said before and I watched it again on, on, uh, on Saturday, watch the back four. If it gets to kind of right to the very end of injury time and there's 10 seconds left and it's a clean sheet, watch them. If it's a clean sheet, they love it. You know, the, watch the back four because if it's a clean sheet and the referee blows the final whistle, they just go mental, punching the air and like high fiving each other. And it's great. There's no kind of coolness. There's no studiness. It's like we've got a clean sheet. We're going to celebrate it like a striker gets uh, celebrates a goal. It's brilliant. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I, this shows the spirit that's there. There's um, a lot of spirit, a lot of heart in that team at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we should just uh, <clears throat> cut to um, well, our man Naz Kinsella from uh, Goal dot com uh, has been down at uh, the ground as always, uh, and after the game, he sat in, in the press conference, and this is his roundup of the day or his day at Stamford Bridge. Nizar Kinsella here from Gold.com. I've been reporting on Chelsea's game against Crystal Palace. Um, you know, obviously a great win, 2-0. Um, but, but more of that, you know, what's the sort of reaction behind the scenes? Um, you know, a few talking points that came out. Um, you know, for me, Matteo Kovacic was excellent in the match. But beyond that is what Frank Lampard talks about after the match. He said that, uh, you know, he, he focused on youth and, and Rhys James was very much the sort of reason behind that. Um, you know, there's a chance that he could take somebody like Cesar Aspilicueta's place, who's, who's been the first choice right back at Chelsea for many years. And now there's a, there's a real, real contender coming through for the first 
first time, um, you know, Aspilicueta took Branislav Ivanovic's place, and now Reese James, um, you know, in the long run looks like a serious contender for that spot after going up against the best winger in the Premier League or, or one of the best wingers in the Premier League, Wilfred Zaha. Um, I thought, you know, Reese James wasn't pocketing Wilfred Zaha as some people suggested, but certainly it was a it was a battle that he could argue that he won. You know, as bad as Palace were all over the pitch, that probably didn't help Zaha. Um, I thought, you know, what more could you ask for James? You know, in his Premier League debut, um, and then Lampard. Yeah, he said that Aspilicueta took the news very well of being dropped, um, which is impressive. He, you know, Lampard wants to players for every position and and maybe that means Aspilicueta can't quite play every game as he's been used to you know it wasn't he's played almost um, you know 73 games in a row in the Premier League I think the stat was um, he's only missed two games through injury since he joined the club um, it's an incredible record so that that was one talking point that I thought was of interest from the game and, and, and one that Lampard addressed in the press room after um you know, beyond that, we saw um, Lampard also talk about Willian, who played pretty well. You know, spacing between the lines, uh, created a lot of chances for the likes of Pulisic and Abraham, who are probably going to get a lot more goals than him. Um, and I thought that he kind of exploited a lot of weaknesses in the Palace uh, defence tactically. But um, there's, there's always that contract issue lingering with Willian. Um, his contract expires at the end of the season. Uh, Lampard touched upon it and said, "I love him." Um, uh, you know, everyone knows that I love him kind of thing and, and, and sort of hinting that Lampard would be very much keen to see Willian stay you know, for another year of course Willian's over 30 and the Chelsea club policy is that they only get one year deals and, and that, that, that will be something that will need to be discussed uh, it'll likely be that Willian gets a one year contract at some point or doesn't get one at all and leaves the club um, so that's kind of the situation that he's in um, Yeah, so that was kind of the, the main talk points I thought from, from the press room um, you know, also it was just a case of um, broadly positive six wins in a row, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know that we can all see that the picture at Chelsea is very bright at the moment, and um, I think that you know everyone can be happy with how it's going. But there's always that Lampard was very cautious to say that. Chelsea are not in a title race. Yes, they might. They went up to second with that win at the time. Um, but, you know, he, he didn't want to get ahead of himself. I think he predicts more difficult times to come. And, and uh, yeah, I think he also doesn't want his side to get complacent, you know, after such a good run of form. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, Man City up next. And, and that, that debate will only continue now with Chelsea. Part of doing well is managing expectations. And I think that people's expectations will grow now. Um, that's really it from me. It wasn't the you know the most um, you know salacious game with the the most controversial talking points. Very much kind of went the way you would have expected it, but all positive from Chelsea's angle really. And uh, yeah, I think actually the most difficult thing for Lampard going forward might be competition for places as we see it right back. So uh, that that's sort of the roundup of of my uh, day at Stamford Bridge. And we're back, Andy. So that was Naz. It's good to hear from him. I, I like hearing from the press conference, and it, it sounds as though it's difficult to, to be anything other than positive, that Frank's sounding positive. Everything's set up for him for that game next week, which we should move on to as well, I guess. Uh, Man City. Away. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game, particularly after yesterday when they lost to Liverpool and lost quite convincingly to Liverpool. So it's not the Man City team 
that we're used to seeing, you know, in recent years. It's not the all-dominant, terrifying, fear-factor team. You know, some of those players in that team you thought wouldn't get into ours. You know, Angelino, the left back, wouldn't wouldn't get into our team. I don't think there's there's probably two or three players there that that you think they're not as good as us. You know, Aguero wasn't firing on all cylinders yesterday. Um, there was, you know, De Bruyne was getting frustrated. Those superstar players that they that they've got, you know, they just didn't look like the the steamroller that they were. Um, but you know, of course, they're playing Liverpool at Anfield in a huge game, so we can't we can't judge an awful lot by it. But they've been. I'm convincing in other games as well, so I'm not going to. Uh, I was going to say main road there. I'm not going to go to the Etihad uh, with too much terror. I mean, I think that it's going to be really difficult, and I think that we're going to come up against probably one of our biggest tests of the season so far because they, after all, they are still Man City. But I think that the way we're playing and the way they're playing is going to be a leveler. I, I agree. I, I think we can go there and hold our head up high. Look, we could lose 6-0 or we could win 2-0. Yeah, could, you that's know, just that kind of season, mate. Yeah, it is. And we could they could find us out at the back, but we could also find them out of the back because what Liverpool showed was you don't have to necessarily be at it completely because if you can bypass their midfield and get up near their defence, you've got a chance of scoring. There is no way that they are... I think it was, was it Carragher or one of those that said that during the match, they said, this is a first-class side with a mid-table defence. And yeah. I, I think that's about right, really. Yeah. I so, don't think our defence is brilliant. No. Um, so I think that we need to be on our guard. But I do think we have a really good, solid committed midfield that will help the defence and I'm 100% confident in in us going forward as a unit as a team and I think we'll cause them problems particularly if you know Bravo's in goal and John Stones is the back because they're not good enough and and I think that you know we we will create chances it's a question whether we can take those chances if we can take two three chances in a game and and you know concede I know that's an obvious thing to say but if we can take our chances we give ourselves every chance because we will create chances yeah, I, I agree with you. So, so I mean, I guess we should go to that awful moment of prediction time. And I think this is the hardest one to predict at all. So I'm going to let you go first on this one, Andy. I'm going to go with heart overhead on this one a little bit. I just think emotionally Chelsea's in a very good place at the moment. I think the fans and the team have a very good bond at the moment. And I think that counts for a lot in football because I think football is a very emotional game and it can carry you forward and it can give you an extra boost and I think where we're at at the moment is really positive I think the team is playing well I think as a team they're enjoying playing football and I think we can take a a joyful brand of football to the Etihad uh, and play against a team that are under pressure and and give them a game so I'm going to say we're going to win it's not going to be easy but I think we're going to win 2-1 well, that's interesting. I, I can't see there being as few goals as that in it. So I'm going to go with head over heart. No, heart. No, I'm going to go 3 2 Chelsea. That, that's what I think. Um, Blimey. Hope it's yeah. not. That's a, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> well, it is going to be terrifying. Whatever happens, a 0 0 will still be terrifying. It's just terrifying playing a team that you know, if they play at their level, we're going to have our work cut out. But if we yeah. play at our level, so will they. So, uh-huh. 
So, yeah. All right, Andy. Well, look, let's see what happens. We'll be away for a fortnight now because of the international break. But we'll be Stupid international break. Stupid international break. So all that remains is to say thank you, as always, to Andy. Uh, Goodbye. And also thanks to our guests today for their wonderful work, Mr. Naz Kinsella and Mr. Rick Glanville. We'll see you all in a fortnight. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.